As the Cap Times restaurant critic, I think about restaurants a lot. I keep track of what's opening where and what they're going to serve and how much it's going to cost and why. I read about restaurants, I listen to podcasts about restaurants, and I always have so many questions. Like, are restaurants really getting noisier? Does crowdfunding work? If your food is really creative and interesting, does the location matter? How hard is it to put together a menu that's both exciting and still makes money? What difference does a logo make? Restaurants are complicated and fascinating, and what you and I see on the plate is just the tip of the iceberg salad. Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I am your host, Lindsay Christians, food editor for the Cap Times, and this is a new series that we're calling Making a Restaurant. For this first installment, I talked with Caitlin Simnicht. She is the chief creative officer for Food Fight Restaurant Group, which is preparing to open its 20th restaurant in Madison this spring. That would be Bar Coralini on Atwood Avenue. It's going to be an Italian place just for that neighborhood. It's right across the street from Text Hub's Taco Palace, which is also a food fight restaurant, and just down the road from Monty's Blue Plate Diner, which is the first food fight place. Caitlin has been involved with more than a half a dozen restaurant openings, including Deluxe, a burger place near downtown, and Johnny Delmonico's, which was a hit right out the gate. I wanted to know from Caitlin how Food Fight figures out what Madison diners are going to want next and how they go from concept to creation. I am so excited to introduce this series to you and I hope you enjoy. My name is Caitlin Simnick and I'm the Chief Creative Officer at Food Fight Restaurant Group. I usually like to just say I'm the creative director. That's usually a little bit easier for people to grasp. So how long have you been there? How long have you been with Food Fight? So I've been with Food Fight since I was 21. Um, so And I'm 38 now, so you can do the math. <laughs> I started as a server to um, different management roles, and I've been at the corporate office um, for probably the last six or seven years. You were a server. Where did you start? Johnny Delmonico's, oh the first gosh. day it opened in 2001. Wow, the first day it opened, no uh less. mm -hmm. So I actually have very good memories of all those restaurant openings, and I maybe we'll talk about it a little bit today, but um, I think that's what got me in this role is sort of the adrenaline rush of opening a restaurant. So I loved it when I was a server and obviously to this day. How many restaurant openings have you been a part of? Um, I would say probably about eight or nine. Um, the In the role I'm in, um, five Five, so, um, and then, you know, a handful of them as a server or a GM. Where do ideas come from? Like when you look at sort of, you know, Food Fight as a whole, where, where have some of those ideas come from? Our founder, Monty Skiro, was the head honcho for many years and, and is to this day, but he spends um, part of his time in Colorado now. He always developed restaurants that he wanted personally to dine in. You know, what is Madison missing? Um, what do I, where do I want to eat today that isn't around in my neighborhood or in the city? As Monty got older and some of us younger, um, the young pups came up through the company, we all had, you know, different ideas of what should come next to the Madison dining scene. So a lot of it is just what we think is missing or where we'd like to go on a Friday night that 
isn't around the Capitol Square or isn't in the Atwood neighborhood. Are there concepts that you would love to be able to bring to Madison that you just think maybe wouldn't fly here? The issue with um, coming up with a restaurant is it needs to be financially viable. So if it only appeals to a handful of people, even if I'm one of those people, if we can't do the customer counts, it's not going to work. I'd love to have something that's veering towards vegan, but I can't always wrap my head around if there's going to be enough people that would enjoy that or enough to come in and keep that restaurant afloat. You know, we see uh, Madisonians' taste change every month. (laughs) I hate to say that, but it's true. I mean, even maybe a year or two ago, the capital was booming. And now on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, you don't see as many people just walking around the square. In my opinion, or what we're seeing, is that they're eating more in their neighborhoods. Ah. And I don't know if that'll last, but right now that seems to be where it's going. I feel like the big thing was patios, like in the warmer months. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, that's a huge deal. And um, every restaurant we have, we wish we'd have an outdoor patio. But, you know, it just doesn't work logistically. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's where everyone wants to go as soon as the weather warms up. Do you find it challenging to, to kind of always have to be ahead of trends, like to always be thinking about, okay, you know, maybe people are into poke now, but will they be into it in two years or whatever? Like, is, is that challenging? And, and kind of where do you go to look at those things? It's challenging and it's stressful for sure. Poke is a great example. That was a a perfect example of what we were craving. You know, we wanted something that was customizable, that was healthy and cost effective when you compare it to sushi, you know, the amount of food you get. We saw those trends. We saw this trend type in restaurants um, on the coasts. We wanted to bring it to Madison and we've had this conversation and we still have it. How long is the pokey trend going to last? I tend to think it's going to last a, lo- last a long time because sushi has been around for my adult life, and I don't see it going anywhere. So as long as you know you still have that quality of product, um, I think that it can last. I mean, I don't want to be the type that just keeps jumping onto trends, but we have to keep that in mind. In terms of where we go for inspiration, I mean... We travel for sure, but the internet's there. (laughs) So it's a lot of that too. So we're always looking at, I mean, social media has been a game changer, I think, over the last several years for for a restaurant group like us and probably a lot of restaurateurs when you think about concept, but also just menu offerings. what, What are people serving in different cities? We not only look for food inspiration, but design amount of menu offerings, just what they're serving in a larger market. Um, Not that Italian food's super hard to figure out, but it's just good to see what other people are doing. What I really liked about this last trip to New York is I went with Giovanni, our chef, and to me, we were able to really get on the same page chef and creative director-wise because we'd say, okay, we like that there's eight pastas on this menu. Um, How do you feel about handmade and dry pasta? Should we do a little of both? We're able to just have a conversation while we're at these restaurants to to make sure we're aligned. You know, you don't want to get too far into it and have us butting heads on, okay, Gio thinks we should only have three pastas and I'm saying no way in hell because we need more offerings for our customers. At what point in those conversations does cost come in? Are you thinking about it right up at the top? Cost per menu item and that kind of thing. It comes in right away. We build business plans um, to make sure that we think it's even financially viable. You need to know how much you think a customer is going to pay and how many customers you think you're going to have per day. That's 
the two big numbers. You know, if you say, okay, we're going to do 300 customers a day at $25 a head, then you can start to project your sales. And then when you're estimating your costs, you just need to make sure at the end you have money left over. (laughs) If you don't, you shouldn't open the restaurant. With Italian food, for instance, um, you actually make pretty good cost per plate. Pasta, whether you're making it or buying it, isn't super expensive. And in Madison, people are willing to pay 14 to 20 for a plate of pasta. So you're making a pretty good margin. Now, when you think about something like pokey, there's a certain dollar amount you can charge before people say this is quick service or fast casual and no way am I gonna pay $25 a person. But what then you're hoping is that you're doing more customers, you're making less money per customer, but you're doing more customers. One of Food Fight's most controversial projects in the past several years was the remake of the Avenue Bar. The Avenue was a classic for its supper club feel and Friday night fish fry, and it had been open since the 1950s. People loved this place. Food Fight bought it from the owners in 2011 and kept it the same for about four years, but then in 2015, they realized it needed a change. They closed Avenue Bar for a couple of months, remodeled the interior, and then rebranded as the Avenue Club and Bubble Up Bar. It was the first time Food Fight had ever purchased an existing restaurant rather than building one from the ground up, which is actually not that uncommon a thing for restaurateurs to do, so I wanted to find out how it was different. Um, That was the only restaurant, you know, that wasn't our concept. All other food fright restaurants, I don't know if people always understand it, but those were ours from the start. They were our baby. Monty, being a Madisonian, did not want to see the avenue close, so we bought it. Um, But we kind of found ourselves in a lose-lose situation because the people that loved the quote-unquote old avenue were a little irked that Food Fight came in, and people that liked Food Fight restaurants didn't feel like the avenue was a Food Fight restaurant. So we tried to make it work for three or four years, but we were seeing customer counts declining. The building was showing its age. So we decided, okay, we need to make a change. And we didn't really want to change the name Avenue too much, but we knew even just in now the days of Yelp reviews that you have to change the name a little bit or your business listing is just still known as Avenue Bar. So we made a few um, risky decisions and it paid off. but not right away because the first year people were angry. (laughs) It was hard for the employees. I mean, they are having to explain it to customers who are coming in for the first time not knowing that the avenue has been bought by another company. And gosh, what a tough situation to be in. But overall, people have really enjoyed it. And I think we just tried to stay true to kind of a supper club feel. We knew we needed to make some improvements just because, again, the age of the building. I mean, we needed to change the carpet. We needed to swap out some drywall. So it was a challenge, but um, and I don't know if we'd do it again. <laughs> I don't know if we'd buy another re- existing restaurant just because it. that's a lot of um, – there's a lot of hoops to jump through with that. And Madison has such ownership of these things. Totally. You know? And I I was interested, like I saw a ton of stuff, you know, on Facebook. You know, people get into these long conversations, these long threads and things. And I felt like part of it, too, was, you know, people who had gone to school here. 
right? Yeah. And then, you know, the left, because it had a lot of UW memorabilia and it had a lot of connections there. Sometimes we have this idea that we can leave something and it will just stay the way it always was. Yes. And, you know, it's sort of like uh, you can't go home again, right? right? And I hope that people look at it as, okay, the avenue did get saved because otherwise it, it might be another 15, 20-story building. So we tried our best and I think it's worked out. I wonder, typically does the concept inform the location or does the location inform the concept? Which usually comes first? With us, it's about a 50-50 mix. Well, I'll use the new restaurant right now. Um, So Bar Coralini is the name. It's an Italian restaurant going into the Atwood neighborhood. At first, we said, maybe we'll do pizza, just pizza there. We wanted to do a wood-fired pizza, Giovanni, our chef. Um, thought that would be great. And we started to think, okay, who's our competition? There's so many pizza places. And now a lot of people carry out pizza or get it delivered. So that started to change our concept. So I'd say we had the space and we kind of morphed our concept to fit that space and what we think the neighborhood would want. Other times we have a really set concept like, okay, we want to do high-end Italian downtown and the Cento space was it. Like we searched for the right space As soon as that um, opportunity came up, we jumped at it, and we knew right away. Um, Miko Pokey, we knew there was a little attached kitchen. Okay, Pokey, scoop and serve was going to be the best option for us. We look at it both ways, really. Now, if I was a um, chef just opening a restaurant on my own, obviously you probably have the cuisine that you want to cook. So you're going to go in with your concept and cuisine and then find the right space. To me, that's the best way of going about it because if you're going to go to investors and say I'm just looking for a space and then I'll put whatever food in there that I think is going to work I don't know if that shows that much authenticity or passion for your type of cuisine but with us um, again it is a little bit driven by if we have a chef who's wanting to open something specific or if we just think this neighborhood is calling for Asian food now we need to go find the right chef so we we again approach it both ways. You have opened now so many restaurants. You've been part of the opening, right, for so many. I wonder, what have you? What are some things that you've learned over that time? Oh, my gosh. I it's mean, been a there's probably an <laughs> if-I-only-knew list so long. Um, design-wise, every restaurant that we open, I learned something. I messed something up, and um, but the next time I won't, just from, you know, placement of tiles where bar stools don't tip off. I mean, I've done some really <laughs> dumb things, you know, or um, really making sure I think the efficiency of a kitchen or uh, the server areas, you know, when you're when you're looking for design, design and efficiency, they don't always match up. So I had to kind of get over this like snotty, oh, I have to have it look a certain way. If it's not going to work for the chef or the server's, then sometimes, you know, design has to take a little bit of a backseat. We've learned a lot in terms of how long it takes to train staff, um, how much you need to follow up with staff for many months. It's not just um, we train you for two weeks and you're good to go. So longer training then? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, and it really, again, depends on the concept. But, um, you know, we like to train a good month before. You can't really do it too much longer than that because, again, you have to consider all your build-out costs. And in terms of your opening and build-out costs, labor's in there too. You learn how to navigate things with, with the city. 
every time you open it, it gets easier. You start to understand, okay, these are the um, rules when I'm applying for a liquor license. Um, this is how I need to, you know, the chronological order of um, working with the city, working with architects and builders. Um, I mean, all of it gets a little bit easier, but there's still challenges all the time. And I'm sure with the new one, I'm going to mess up another 10 things, and I'll let you know when I'm done. Because you want to time it out right, right? Yeah. Like- oh, yeah. I mean, right now we're working with a, a designer, a contractor, and even though a contractor keeps things in line, I still have to keep all the other things. I have to make sure the designer picks out a light before the contractor needs it. Sometimes I've done that. For Cento, we did all the design work. For Deluxe, I actually contracted it myself. It was a nightmare, but I learned so much. <laughs> it so, was a nightmare. <laughs> it was. It really was. Um, but now I can look back at it and laugh at the time. I mean, I'm sure I shaved years off my life <laughs> opening that restaurant. But I'm learning when to tap into um, people's knowledge and expertise. I used to want to do it all myself, and I'm glad I did it for the learning experience. But for Bar Coralini, I decided, okay, let's work with Art and Sons. Um, They have just new ways of looking at things, and they're so talented. And in a way, I don't want all of the restaurants I open to look the same, even though I tried to make it different. There's going to be some, you know, resemblance. So we decided to work with designers for the first time, and we've had a great um, experience with them. Who knows for the next one if we'll decide that we need that finesse or maybe it'll be more of a Miko Pokey again and we don't need it as much. There are things I think you probably can't, either you don't think about when you're first kind of doing the design, like the flow, how something is going to flow or mm-hmm. where people are kind of naturally going to go. And I would imagine the more you do it, the more you get a sense of like, oh, okay, we're going to have to do it this way or like, here's this whole concept that we have, but actually there's not going to be enough parking for people. Actually, the flow is a perfect example where we see either customers back up at a host stand or at the bar, it's hard for servers to get in and out to get drinks. We uh, learn about that with every restaurant we open and then just try to make the next one better. You have been in this industry in Madison for long enough that you've probably seen sort of the restaurant boom. You were like, you've been around for the recession Mm -hmm. and what would happen there. Is it different opening a restaurant now than, say, when, like, Johnny Delmonico's first opened? And, like, what kinds of pressures are you seeing? Do you think do you think the boom is over? The big, big differences now are construction costs. That is the game changer in a bad way. Uh, it's just really expensive to open a restaurant. Not only um, are the trades, they're just overbooked here. So for you to be able to get a contractor and a plumber, I mean, they have so much work. I don't even know if they care to do your job. They're just too busy. So that's a big deal. You know, in the past, to open a restaurant for, I don't know, $400,000 was doable. Now it could be a million easy. And you have to take into account if, I mean, how much time it's going to take for you to recoup that if you can get a loan if you can get enough investors. So all of that is a big deal. And then the other um, big factor is managers and chefs. Any kind of, actually front and back of house employees are are difficult to find in Madison. And it's not the pay, it's just actually the amount of people that are in town looking for work. We just don't find that very often. You can't open a restaurant if you don't have a chef. We really make sure that we've got somebody in line We've learned our lesson um, with trying to open a restaurant, maybe a more simple restaurant. Well, I'll use like Luigi's, for example. It's going to be 
pizza, but it's about just about pizza. Not to say you can have anybody cook that, but you don't need a like highly specialized chef. That's okay, but still sometimes you can't find the right person for that. We did we learned that with deluxe too. Um, we thought, okay, it's just burgers. Well, yeah, it still takes somebody that's organized, can order, still will come up with new um, dishes. In a way, we can tap into the expertise within Food Fight as a whole to have some chefs help out here and there. But you can't open an Italian restaurant without a chef that knows what he or she is doing. So that's a big deal. Um, even um, general managers to make sure that you have the right people in place, um, to me, is a huge part of opening a successful restaurant. So if anything, that's what's going to slow us down, I think, is um, getting the right people in place and trustworthy people. We find so many want to grow up in Madison and move on to other markets. And then eventually they want to come back when either they start a family or they want to slow down a bit. But we've had some people think that's what they want, come back to Madison for a couple years and say, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go back to Chicago for a couple more years. Restaurants have so many ways now to hear from diners what they thought about the food and the cocktails and the whole experience. And I wondered if Caitlin ever read reviews on Yelp or Facebook or Google and just thought, gosh, I really wish they knew this. Gosh, where to even start? The the amount of work. And I think I actually have responded. I, I really am careful to respond, but I think sometimes you do need to defend a staff member or a decision you made. I don't want to get into that much of it, but we had, I think, someone that wrote a one-star review at Deluxe who never even stepped in the door because when we opened, there was too long of a wait. So they just decided to say, one star, I'm out of there. The hype is too much. Well, that does bother me because you haven't even walked in the door for the experience. So I think I did write something to say, hey, review us when you actually eat at our restaurant, but not just because you're mad that there was a long wait. Any type of review, even your role, it's hurtful sometimes if I'll, a different reviewer, <laughs> reviewer or writer once said that Deluxe's bar looked like an airport bar. Well, that really... <laughs> was a bummer for me. And everyone can have their opinion. You know what? I don't even know if I would have argued it now. Like, okay, I could see that. But when you spend so much time on things, it's just your baby. It'd be like an actor or anyone, I'm sure, that just gets reviewed on their performance. It's hard work and everyone has their own opinion. So it's it definitely can strike a chord with you. You just have to take it with a grain of salt. And with, um, with customer reviews, I think... A lot of them are legit. Um, many of them are legit. And if we see a trend, we want to fix it. You know, it's the one-off sometimes that you just have to say, what what happened there to make that person upset? And sometimes you can trace it back to something beyond um, salty dish. It could have been the way that the host talked to them right when they first walked in that kind of made them irritated. And then from it kind of snowballed from there. So, uh, you know, 
for the most part, I actually like them. But sometimes when it gets to the design of a place or things like that, that kind of irk me personally because I have so much, you know, time and passion in it. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's this, this is our day and age, and it's, you got to just deal with it. But, yeah, I wish um, people would understand all the training and time and passion of 100 people that go into a restaurant and then for someone just to say, nah, I hated it or hate that paint color, uh, that dish was disgusting. Whoa, that's um, that's kind of, you know, hurtful. I have heard that Food Fight's philosophy is yes and, like whenever possible, mm-hmm. like that kind of improv thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes and. And there are other places that I know well and have written about that are like, this is what we do. If you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. Like, I'll, you know, if you don't like our pizza, we will give you a gift certificate to Pizza Hut. Yeah. Whatever. I think, you know? I think that's the, that's, some people have like a fire your customers mantra. Yeah. That's, I think that's what it is. I've read about it. That isn't what we do. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a, it is a perspective, right? It is. Oh, for sure. For us, we just look at it. To me, I look at a restaurant experience as just so much more than food and service. It's hospitality. It's welcoming someone into your environment and trying to make them feel better, you know, when they're leaving than when they came. And we have so many, we have like thousands of stories of um, little things our servers or or our cook has done that have made someone's day. Um, and it could be something silly, just like taking the time to ask them how is everything? How was your day? To um, preparing something special for them because they um, can't eat X ingredient. So we do our our mantra, our mission is say yes. Um, we can't always do it. If somebody says, "Oh, go get me a dozen roses in one minute," we can't. But we try to do it if they ask. We tell our servers, bartenders, kitchen, do what you need to do to make the customer happy. If you go crazy beyond what you should do, maybe we'll say, hey, next time, this is what we'd recommend. But the worst thing to us is, and I could feel this as a diner, is for someone to say, oh, sorry about that. Let me check with my manager to see what we can do. Like, eh, I don't know. How about just fix it? Fix it in the way that if you were the customer, you'd want it to be fixed. And if if you were a customer and you didn't like somebody and somebody just said, okay, we'll take $5 off, that just feels pathetic. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Have there been any surprises yet with Bar Coralini? Well, sure. Yeah, we're going through the construction budget right now, and it's higher than we thought it was going to be. So oh. um, actually, after this today, I'm going to sit through, and we're going to go line item by line item and try and get it down. And sometimes it's just a matter of me not completely understanding that one finishes three times the cost of a different oh, wood sure. floor. Yeah. So we're going through it. So, so far, that's really been it. And it's not a deal breaker by any means. It's just a matter of trying to figure out, okay, if it is going to cost us a little bit more, how are we going to fund that? Do we need to go to investors? Do we need to go to the bank? But my first job is to not have it cost that much. So <laughs> we're going to try and um, whittle that down a bit this afternoon and see if I can make some adjustments. Um but that's really been it so far. And even though we're so close to opening, we're probably we're going to open in May. It feels like 
we still have the, the usually the two months before a restaurant opens is the critical time. It's almost like, you know, like planning a wedding. You are waiting and waiting and waiting. And then suddenly in the last couple of months, you have to do everything. That is sort of how a restaurant works, too. So I'm sure there will be plenty more surprises. But our goal is to open in early May. But that always can delay a bit. And that's, I think, a lot of times why restaurateurs are, say, May and then it's August. <laughs> Things yeah. happen. We don't ever want to be that late, but we've been, you know, a month or six weeks later than we planned. Uh, that's never good because just the expenses start to really rack up. So just try to stay as close to that opening timeline as possible. excited to see what happens with Mark Marlini. It's Thank you. right across the street from my yoga studio, so it's perfect. perfect. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. <laughs>